welcome to Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. I'm your host, Tom Masters, and our guest today is Dr. Dan Ratner. He's an internationally known mind-body expert and the host of the popular podcast, Crushing Doubt. Welcome. Thanks, Tom. Um, Dan, welcome back to our show. Um, we just did a podcast with Dr. Dan Ratner. This is our second episode. And he's a psychologist who has started a process called Crushing Doubt. It's available on YouTube and Spotify. He is very organized. He's creating resources that groups of people can access in a very powerful way. So there's group interaction, there's concepts to really calm down and reroute the nervous system. And those of you, those in my podcast sort of know my lines. And Dan and I have different language, but we're very much on the same page. Both of us have the mission to bring these concepts out into the mainstream medicine because they're not that hard, incredibly successful. Dan shared, us, shared with us his story about his own back issues, being bouncing around the medical system, system getting very frustrated and which happens to be inflammatory, which makes the pain worse. So he's able to pull out of it, and he's been able to apply these principles to his practice. And so we talked in the last podcast about these uh, obsessive thought patterns that do hit your nervous system. They fire up your body's physiology, and people don't feel very good. So Dan's approach, he has approach. We're going to talk about some detail on this podcast. And Dan, um, welcome back. Thanks so much for having me, David. This is great. So for those of you who didn't listen to the first pod podcast, just to summarize it very quickly, is that there's sort of a joke term called monkey mind. The research term is unpleasant repetitive thoughts. There's also terms such as obsessive thought patterns. I call it phantom brain pain. But you have these neurological circuits that just torture us. And I, you know, extreme form of that is called obsessive compulsive disorder, which I happen to have myself. It's one of the worst experiences I ever can put, probably the worst experience I've ever had is the OCD. But also what I also learned is I talk to people more and more carefully that these racing thoughts are, I think, universal. Dan and I sort of agreed that was the case. And I am searching for ways personally to help people solve these things because I'm fine. I mean, my wife might disagree with me, but I'm fine. And the prognosis for OCD is terrible. And not only am I fine, I'm thriving at a level I never knew was possible. So in my process, my whole process has switched more over to anxiety rather than physical pain. Um, I think these unpleasant thoughts just torture people. And I didn't realize that in Dan's work, you know, he helps heal chronic pain. But a big part of what he does is deal with these crazy thought patterns we all have. So Dan, I'm just, I'm really interested in hearing what you have to say about how you, first of all, I didn't realize that dealing with these repetitive thought patterns was part of what you do. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we kind of got that, got synced up about that because, you know, when it comes down to it, if we say that the mind body process is the dominant feature in all of these different things, and by the way, I include anxiety and depression in that. Um, then what it means is we have to figure out how we're going to interface with the mind. So we have to see what is happening in the mind. So a huge part of what I do is assess and help people understand what it is they're thinking. So, you know, my podcast is called Crushing Doubt, and it is about helping people have no doubt, not, uh, not artificially. It, they have to bring in the doubt first, as we mentioned before, 
and really look at what's happening. And a lot of times they don't even know the doubts they're having. I help them articulate it and bring it out to see how are they thinking. So it's interesting because like with obsessive thoughts, if anything, the first thing that I do is help people see those obsessive thoughts. Sometimes they don't even see them. You know, for someone like you, you saw them, you were grappling with them and that's horrible enough. But for some people, they're, they're not even aware that that's happening so much. Well, let me make a comment on my own experience. So first of all, um, the reason why I get myself in deep, deep trouble physically and mentally is I suppressed everything. Mm-hmm. So I'm not a psychologist, um, but I did learn two words. One is suppressed thoughts and repressed thoughts with repression being an automatic suppression of these negative thoughts because they hurt. And suppression is a conscious bearing right. of the thoughts. And I was a master of suppression and repression. So I had emotional trauma. I did not have the capacity to deal with it. So I was an absolute master at suppressing thoughts. And so what happened to my ears were ringing, my feet were burning, my stomach was a mess, back pain, neck pain, I mean, you name it. So my bodily, my body was physically reacting, but I wasn't feeling anxiety. I wasn't feeling angry. I was just right. I mean, so I was, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so it's interesting. So what eventually happened why I got so sick was suppressed thoughts. And then, then when they came out and exploded, then I developed a full-blown obsessive compulsive disorder where I couldn't put the thoughts back into the bottle. It was horrible. And so, I mean, what we're saying today is concepts. I mean, every person is so unique and different. But uh, honestly, OCD is horrible. You can't escape these thoughts. They torture you. But again, I think they're universal to some degree. Not everybody's OCD by any means like I have but I'm fine. And the prognosis for full-blown OCD, correct me if I'm wrong, is still pretty terrible. Oh yeah. I mean, as we discussed, you and I are not much for diagnosis per se. So I I don't think anybody should feel boxed in by it, but I think a lot of this is about misunderstanding what's happening. You know, a lot of these diagnoses, they're saying like, oh, like to me, it never made sense that why one person's brain is like quote unquote malfunctioning when another's is supposedly not. That it's much more in line with my understanding that no, actually everybody's obsessive. They're just obsessed about different things. I mean, right. a, let's say a sports fan. They're they're obsessed about sports. Right. That's just their obsessions are not interfering with their life. I see. And everybody obsesses. Right. So my sense is that a lot of times what I also found out in the work is as people's pain dropped, because remember, just to be really clear, you and I both know this really well, is that when your body's physiology is in fight or flight, what we call threat physiology, it creates both mental and physical symptoms. So the pain is not imaginary. You're, I mean, is um, rheumatoid arthritis imaginary with the joints destroyed? No. So the physiology translates into physical destructive symptoms and also mental destructive symptoms. So these thought patterns, since you can't escape them, they create a fired up nervous system that stays that way. And you mentioned what I'm really curious about your actual approach to help people deal with these unpleasant, repetitive thoughts. Okay. So let's dive into that. As I mentioned last time, I have this system that is designed to describe mind body experience, which to me, it doesn't matter whether it's manifesting in the body or the mind. It's all, it's really all one thing. And in fact, they really affect each other. So there's the emotions column side of things. And these columns are designed, the name comes from the idea that I have a mind body map where you kind of take notes on what's happening in your mind, but it's all what's happening in your mind. So if you're having certain 
either repressed or suppressed emotions, you can have an acute symptom pop up from that. And sometimes that acute symptom then can continue, especially if you have doubt and you're not sure what's going on, it can become something you worry about. And then we get into a more obsessive version of it where you, you know, with doubt, people are thinking very obsessively, actually, how am I going to get better when this is going on? How am I going to understand this when this is going on? How do I understand this when someone's saying this and the other person's saying this? It's all obsessive, actually. Well, and you're right. The medical system doesn't really help calm people down. No, and actually neither does psychology. Okay. Can you explain that? So, well, yes, because in psychology, we kind of have the opposite problem. In psychology, we, we fully admit that these thought processes can really plague us. But I find in therapy, one of the reasons therapy takes as long as it does generally is people get stuck in the weeds of things. It's not organized. So it's a very meandering process, generally speaking. Right. Yeah, I would definitely second that. And, you know, I, I used to conduct these meandering processes. I tried not to make them so meandering, certainly, and that wasn't the goal. But interestingly, as I've organized this system, um, and I said there's the emotions column, the doubt column, and the third is the, is the power column, which is your relationship with yourself, which is going to be especially key in addressing obsessional issues. We're, we're, we're organizing it so that whenever somebody kind of starts going astray, there's no meandering in my system. It, it, all, it, it all refocuses on, on the right parts that we need to focus on. So let me get into how, how attentional issues, as I call them, or obsessional issues, however we want to talk about them, fit into my system. So first of all, doubt is an obsessional form. Um, it, it, it plagues us. It's one of the reasons it must be addressed to get us relief from things. Can you define doubt? I know it's been a silly question, but no, not at all. That's a good question. When you say doubt, so you have a physical symptom, you don't know where it's coming from. You're, you're convinced the doctor's missing something. So you start doubting. So when people kept, keep not finding things, you keep doubting whether this person knows what they're doing. Is that a fair statement? That is. And the way I would define doubt is simply a lack of certainty. Okay. That, that's its, its garden variety definition, but it comes in different forms. Fear is a form of, of a lack of certainty, but that's an extreme one. So there's fear. Then there's confusion, uh, which I would say is less than fear. It's not as bad, okay. but you really don't know what's happening. Right. Then there's, then maybe you get your confusion, you know, and you think, you know, but if you just think, you know, you're still uncertain. Right. And then lastly, there are questions, any questions that are lingering. That's a form of doubt. Now you could say, how is it possible to get rid of all doubt? And you can't doubt keeps coming back and coming back and coming back. But what you can do is you can make sure that there's no more fear because you feel like you understand it. There's not a whole lot of confusion even. You're starting to get even certain and everything is really just about fine tuning with those questions. Okay. That's what I like to get to in the doubt, the doubt column. Okay. So once you do that, a lot of times where people end up is in these attentional and obsessional issues where they know everything they need to know, but they can't stop thinking about it. Okay. And I don't blame them. I mean, who could stop thinking about it if you're having these symptoms? So I have two ways out of it. The first thing is to actually define which of these two ways is needed. So in my system, the way I think about it, and I'm totally open to hearing your thoughts about it, and we could even you know, go back and forth about it. 
But from what I've seen, there's two different reasons that people obsess about their symptoms. Okay. The first one is fear. Okay. They're afraid of the symptoms. So they're checking in. Is this still there? Is it ever going to go away? They cannot stop thinking about it because it terrifies them. So that's one reason. Another reason is they can't stop thinking about it, but they don't know why. <laughs> and that's more the obsession side, which is really more what we're talking about here. Okay. If it's, if it's fear-based, I can use science and logic and slowly wheedle them down from being afraid. And usually I can get those obsessions to die down just by getting rid of fear. But okay. when you can't do that, and that's the part we're talking about here, then there's a different issue at hand. And why is that there? In my model, it is there because somewhere is, this is a controversial phrase, but I'm going to use it anyway, and then we'll talk more about it. I think that that's, those obsessions are there because of unprocessed trauma. Okay. Where people essentially are doing exactly what Dr. Sarno said happened in what I call the emotions column, where a symptom comes in to distract from the emotional experience. This is like that at a mega level, okay. where the obsession comes in as the symptom. And it is there to distract from understanding who you are and what you've been through. Right. So in the power column, we help, we do two things. One, we help to process, actually we do three things in fairness. We, we process what was the nature of the trauma. Okay. We help people recognize when they're in power or out of power with themselves, okay. with others, or even their symptoms. Okay. And then thirdly, and this is the most important part of addressing obsessional uh, issues. We help them do what I call live in the power column, which means you're now aligned with yourself. You know more what you want and you're actually going for it. You're living a life that, and this is, this relates to what we were talking about, about positive thoughts. Right. Now people know what they've been through in the trauma. They're assessing whether they're inter interfacing with themselves in a good way through whether they're in power or not, which could be defined as, do I feel good or not, essentially. Right. And then lastly, they're attaching to a new life uh, that's in alignment with the self. And in a way, what we're doing is, because everybody obsesses about something, we're helping people obsess about the right things. Now let's obsess about what you want. Let's obsess about your goal. So I'm sorry, that's the third column then is where you want to go? That's right, the power column. Okay, I so don't this, know how clearly this is coming out to be live. Well, no, no, I just want to review it real quick. No, it's, it's really clear. So the first column is the doubt column. I think of emotions as first, which is similar to how Sarno thought about it. Okay, the, so just how, how you The very first thing we deal with is actually doubt. So I, I'm, I understand why you asked that. Okay. And then the um, second column is? That's the doubt column. That's where we look at all the thinking and whether you have doubts about whether it's mind-body or not, whether this mind-body experience is different than any other, and whether you believe you yourself can change. And then the power column was the third one? And that's where you actually do the changing of the system. Gotcha. Okay. So that, I mean, that fits with what we've talked about neuroplasticity is that, you know, again, we're saying the same thing, just different language where my feeling is that you have to learn how to process anxiety and anger sort of empirically. It's universal. It protects you. It keeps you alive. It's not going away. And so you understand this is part of your life. You don't have to fear it anymore. So you learn how to process it. And then you learn how to calm yourself down and regulate. And then the real healing occurs as you move into the life that you want. As you move into the life that you want, you're stimulating neuroplastic changes in that direction. 
So you want to spend time, and this is where I think the traditional psychotherapy model doesn't work in chronic pain. You want to spend your time analyzing all these doubts and fears. By getting to know those in detail, it just reinforces it. So you're sort of saying the opposite. Okay, they're there. You're not going to change them. And we're programmed with negative voices anyway, just our whole lives. And what you're saying, just stop. You're, gonna, they're, you're, you're safe. Stop it and actually go where you want to go. So you put your brain in a different direction. So from a neuroplasticity standpoint, you're actually stimulating your, your brain to actually physically change structure. Absolutely. I, I, you know, one way of putting it is that when you make changes in the power column, instead of trying to feel safe, you actually become safe. Correct. And if that happens, we know the physiology follows. So actually, it, it brings to mind this idea that I've kind of been wondering about that I think we need to talk about in the mind-body field in general. And that is this idea that I brought up to you earlier. Is this problem that we have simple or is it complicated? And I, okay. think, I think sometimes people say, well, it is complicated, which by the way, it is. I'm not saying it's not. However, it is also simple. And, and that's what I like to say in, in my system is that when you understand the overarching principles of it all, right. you can see it very clearly. And what it means is, sure, the body is incredibly complicated. But if the mind controls the body, do we even need to worry that the body is so complicated? No, because the physiology is going to follow suit when we get you to actual safety in the mind. Right. Um, I know you're familiar with our Wednesday work groups, and that's been the overriding theme now for over a year is just basically threat versus safety. Mm -hmm. So that takes incredibly complex issues of threats to societal, racism, authoritarian, pain, bad medical care, et cetera. All those are threats. Your thoughts are a threat. And then, so it, the number of threats, like you said, is incredibly complicated. The body's response to those threats is ridiculously complicated. Um, but the bottom line is if you find ways to process your stresses appropriately, that minimizes the impact on your nervous system, you give your brain what we call cues of safety. That's right. So you're right. Is, so, but see, so I agree with you. So infinitely complex, that's actually simple. Exactly. I couldn't say it better myself. And, and that's why psychotherapy, again, I'm not, I'm, I don't want to be negative with psychology because I mean, supports are wonderful. The wisdom is wonderful. Psychotherapy can give you wonderful wisdom. But the trap people get into, and I noticed this right off from my, the beginning of my medical career, that people get stuck in psychotherapy. Absolutely. I get stuck. I was in psychotherapy, as I said before, 13 solid years, once or twice a week. That's a lot of psychotherapy. Yeah. Well, I, I, was, I went, go ahead. I was convinced if I just knew enough about my past, you really knew it, somehow I could, but it doesn't change it. It actually reinforces it. I got way worse because my brain was going towards the problem, not the solution. So the solution lies in creating a life that you want. I have a little, uh, have a little saying that actually to have a good life, you have to live a good life. You have to practice. So I'm sensing that's your power column, right? Very much so. Yes. And the other metaphor I use, and I'll let you talk in a second, this is your podcast, by the way. <laughs> is that no, this is good. I love the exchange. Are you uh, are you a snow skier at all by chance? Do you Sorry, am I what? A snow skier? Um, you know, it's interesting. I, I used to ski when I was a kid, and then I went through a growth spurt, and I... And, fear took over and I haven't really done much uh, skiing since, I, but I, I, I love, I love the, the feel of it. Uh, maybe I'll get back to it at some point. 
Well, I would, it's a, it is a dangerous sport. I've got knees blown out. My son is a world-class skier, nine concussions. It's, it's not a safe sport. <laughs> anyway, with skiing is that you can't actually learn how to ski until you know how to stop. Yeah. Right. You have to be able to control your speed. Then you can actually attain more speed. You can't do that until you know how to stop consistently. And I, I'm just guessing when you talk about your crushing down process, you're, you, this is not mind control. This, what's the word I want to use? You and I both know suppressing thoughts is a bad idea. Suppressing emotions is even worse. So that's where the word crushing down to me is, is tricky because you and I are saying the same thing. So in the way crushing down is just learning how to stop. Is that a fair statement? Well, I would say it goes even beyond that because it you learn to stop where you need to learn to stop, but you also learn to stop stopping at the same time. So okay. let me let me express how I would think about it. Crushing doubt is about letting your full and real thought process in and understanding it fully. That's the thing that gets it stopped. So you're not, you're not actively engaging in stopping. It stops once you understand it. So, so I love that. I mean, that's so, that's so good because, I mean, another one of my pain psychologist friends says you have to feel to heal. And that is the one block that we talked about earlier is that the biggest block to healing is actually the unwillingness to engage. In other words, people don't want to feel enough to actually allow themselves to change. Absolutely. So I don't hide from anything. I want to let in everything. I don't want to leave any scrap of data out of the picture because that's illogical and unscientific. And I also don't want to leave any thought process out because that's leaving out a part of you. And how are you supposed to feel safe as you if we're leaving out a part of you? What I do instead is I say, let's bring it all in, but let's start to organize it in a way that you can see you make sense and your symptoms make sense. And when you know that, you won't have doubt about it and your body will relax into safety. Right. And you and I both see people that, again, why we're here, and I'll repeat this from the first podcast, is that we see people heal all the time. And you, and you pointed out is that if a person engages in your process, that I mean, you can't cure everybody, but you said that how many, what percent of people get better under your process over what period of time? Well, I would say as a conservative F estimate, I'd say about 80% of people who interface with me in any serious way do, do mm -hmm. get better. And the ones that don't, it's simply because doubt wins in some way. And I keep telling them, you do not have to let doubt win. I, I believe 100% of people can do this. And I actually think the further I go in my work, I think those numbers are going to climb because people will have more confidence from having heard so many people getting better from it. Right. It's all about and what they're thinking. And, that, and that's where I think you and I have talked about working together is that, you know, the doc journey is a foundational process and it allows people to actually learn tools that we use in the rest of their life. In other words, there's a super long tail to it, multiple layers to it. And so for a longer term follow-up, it gives you an extra set of tools. It just goes on indefinitely. But what is lacking is sometimes that jumpstart that your process provides. So it feels to me, honestly, that's why I was talking to you today. I'm going, well, I have my process against people better, but again, lack of engagement is the issue. It's always better with a coach, but it's not necessary. And so it feels to me like your process can jumpstart a long-term journey with the, which my process, the doc journey provides. But even with the doc journey, again, it's not the final answer either. 
it, it's a launching pad for other resources to come in, but to bring them in in an organized, methodical manner. So in other words, it, when you know all the variables, instead of just bouncing around from therapy to therapy to therapy, you can thoughtfully add in resources according to your awareness of your needs. That's what makes the process effective. So that's what I'm really curious about. So I'm excited about this because I know you're busy. People are asking for resources all the time. So where are you physically located? So I'm in Cleveland, Ohio, where I, I grew up. I had been in New York uh, for 15 years until about three years ago. Now I'm all remote. It's uh, everything I do is over Zoom at this point. Okay. Um, occasionally I might meet with somebody in person in Cleveland, but most of the time uh, I'm meeting with people over Zoom and I meet with people internationally. So people okay. from Australia, from Europe, certainly from California, all over the place, a couple of people from Asia even. And then you do, do a lot of group sessions, correct? Yeah, well, these, these teaching seminars are group teaching seminars. And then these group memberships are times where people can meet with me uh, three, six, or nine times a month. I build in a week off there just to make vacations and, and other rescheduling is not, not a problem. Right. And people can meet with me. And what I do is I talk to them about how the fact that, you know, mind-body experience is all moment to moment. Whatever you're thinking in the moment is going to take you in a certain path. And our job isn't to control that. Our job is to see it, see it and understand it. And if you can understand it in the overall process of the system and their mind and who they are and in alignment with the self, those moments become so much easier. You know how to make adjustments. Now that's very, very interesting you said that because I actually took me years to come up with the same approach, maybe a little different wording is that really my thing is you just learning to become a professional at living your life. In other words, you process adversity more skillfully and quickly. So you spend less time in fight or flight. And then you learn how to nurture joy, which is the power part of what you're doing. And so what you're doing, you're, if you're nurturing joy to compensate for the negativity, it's not going to work. I mean, they're two separate skill sets. They're linked, but they're separate. And so really you're learning tools to negotiate your adversity really quickly it happens every day it's very dynamic for a long time we thought we're going to sort of this nirvana where i'm healed and everything is fine but no you use these tools every day multiple times a day it's a very very dynamic process that's interesting that's absolutely right and i use it myself i use my columns every day it's almost a philosophy right uh and, or at least a way of understand it's just a way of understanding how life is that's honestly what it is for the most part, but it's a really accurate, helpful version with a lot of adaptive function that can capture many different aspects of people, even capture how individual minds work, but help them develop what I call their system within my system. Got it. And then they're on their way. And how do we access your, so I have people ask me all the time, well, how do I access this type of work? Basically you have a website that is your central website to access your services. Yeah, the, the best way is, is the website, www.crushingdoubt.org. Uh, that can give you access to signing up for those seminars. It can give you access to the membership groups. Uh, it gives you my email as well, but contact me at dan at crushingdoubt.org. The more people that know about this, the better. And what I do whenever anybody contacts me is I say to them, listen, this is all about how your mind works, how your thinking goes. And I can help you organize that, understand it, and know what to do about it. And then we, we, we even pick and choose sometimes from the different methods that I have, because I've also trained individuals. If people are staunchly like, I want to see an individual, 
I have, I have a training that I do with people. So, you know, for people out there who are listening, who'd want to do the training as well, contact me through the website or, or my email, dan at crushingdot.org. And I want to build out systems that work. I don't want to do anything that doesn't work. It's a total waste of time for everybody. Right. right. Well, we're both excited about the successes that we see. That's why we're doing this so passionately. And you and I both are pretty discouraged by mainstream medicine sort of beating people up where the alternatives are not very hard. They're sort of risk-free, which is the main thing about it. And so we're, you know, not only do people get better consistently, they get better, they thrive. And it's very, very exciting to watch them break out of this trap of chronic pain. So Dan, thank you again. Wonderful work. And we'll keep our conversations going. Thank you for having me, David. It's really a pleasure to kind of put our minds together about this and and even see, we agree on even more than I thought we agreed on. <laughs> yeah, no, I but, agree. I... But not in a way where it's just artificial and we're trying to agree with each other. We just, we've both been looking at this for a while and we see a lot of the same things, but we're, I think we're also learning from each other. Well, no, I agree. In the last podcast, I, I understood what you were doing, but not quite. I've also developed a much deeper understanding about the common links to chronic disease. I didn't quite understand where you were last time, but no, I think our core basic approaches are really dead on. Um, dead on. So no, I'm excited about that. It's fantastic. Well, looking forward to talking more. Thanks so much, David. Thank you. I'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Dan Ratner, for being on the show today and for sharing the details of his approach to healing chronic pain, focused on exploring emotions, reducing doubt, and discovering your personal power. I'm your host, Tom Masters, reminding you to be back next week for another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. And in the meantime, be sure to visit the website at www.backincontrol.com. Thanks for listening today and join us next week for Back in Control Radio.